Hi, this is Welcome to Self, caring for the human in the therapist chair. And I'm your host, Dr. Haley D. Quinn, fellow human, clinical psychologist, supervisor, and trainer. Welcome to Self is a place where you can come and learn ways to elevate your own care and compassion. A place to rest and be soothed. A place to remember that you are human first and choose the helping profession as just one of the roles in your life. My aim is that this is a place of soothing, comfort, nourishment and nurture. A place where you can also welcome yourself. And if you're new here, welcome. It's lovely that you've tuned in. I always love receiving feedback on the episodes and any questions or comments you might have. So please feel free to reach out to me on social media via my website or at hello at drhaleydquinn.com. My next guest, Dr. Tobin Bell, is someone I had the pleasure of meeting many years ago at a Compassionate Mind Foundation conference. And I've also been lucky enough to participate in some of his training, which if you get the chance, I'd highly recommend. Tobin is a compassion-focused therapy trainer, supervisor and psychotherapist. He is also an accredited schema therapist and cognitive behavioural psychotherapist. He is a co-founder of Chairwork UK and a co-author of the book Compassion-Focused Therapy from the Inside Out, a self-practice self-reflection workbook for therapists. Tobin regularly provides national and international training on compassion and chair work and is actively involved in ongoing research within these areas. He currently works as a lecturer and operational lead at the University of Manchester, very close to where I grew up. I really enjoyed chatting with Tobin and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Tobin to Welcome to Self. So, hey, Tobin, thank you so much for joining me early in the UK. Um, Really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Mm -hmm. It's really, really lovely to catch up again. Thanks for asking me to, to come along and speak. Fantastic. So do you want to start with just telling us a little bit about yourself and your path to becoming a helping professional? Yeah, I mean, at the moment I work as a lecturer at the University of Manchester and I work also as a therapist in different ways. Um, I suppose my path, like this is like a professional path, I suppose, and a personal path. I mean, professionally, I started off as a nurse, yeah. a mental health nurse. Um, and then sort of found that the things I enjoyed most were the one-to-one time with clients and getting to know people well. Um, so then moved into therapy and it was CBT first and, you know, it's, it's great. So that was my first main training. Um, but I suppose then it moved to, I suppose it, there's lots of clients I work with who, you know, had things that you know, didn't recover. 
and um, sort of weren't amenable to to change in lots of ways. So I suppose I got drawn more and more to compassion and acceptance-based ways of working and trained in CFT and mindfulness and schema therapy, emotion focused therapy, et cetera. Um, But CFT feels like it's my sort of home, really. Yeah. Um, And I suppose in terms of like, but the personal journey, I suppose, starts a bit earlier, really. It's a bit longer. I mean, I, when I was a youngster, I had depression quite badly. Um, so I suppose that was probably the trigger to be thinking more about mental health and that put it more forefront in in my life. Um, and, you know, you get to know people who also have difficulties in that way. Yeah. Um, so I suppose... I suppose you know you, you kind of inevitably try out the therapies you learn on your on yourself, and you, you seek therapy yourself and different things. And I suppose my journey's been kind of similar to you know, trying out first CBT and that for, um, but there are some day around or accept, and I got drawn more and more to um, compassion-based approaches, and just found that so helpful in my personal life, really. Um, so I suppose that just strengthened my belief in the in the therapy, trying it out, experiencing it myself. Um, so I suppose then personal and professional sort of combined in a way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you co-authored Compassion Focused Therapy from the Inside Out with Russell Colts and Chris yeah. Ives and James Bennett-Levy. Can you share your thoughts on the importance of self-practice, self-reflection for therapists and why it's not only good for their practice, but also yeah. for them as human beings? Yeah, I mean, the, so I suppose I, mean, I, I personally believe that having therapy yourself as a therapist is really important, but I know the, the actual yeah, evidence, is, the evidence is quite mixed about it. So, um, I mean, it's my colleague and friend, James Bennett-Levy, who, who thought about ways you can fill the gap, as it were, between, um, I suppose, not having therapy and just learning about it um, by delivering it, but then also receiving the therapy and self-practice, self-reflections, the chance to learn the therapy by receiving the interventions, trying it on yourself or receiving it in pairs or groups or workshops or online, for example. And then you sort of squeeze the juice of the experience um, so you get the maximum benefit from it. So you experience it and then you reflect on the benefits for your for yourself as a person. So what you might learn about yourself, your thoughts, patterns, et cetera. Um, but then also what you learn as the therapist too. So, you know, what was it like to receive the intervention? Was it too fast? Would you have liked weeks on that formulation rather than being rushed? And I think that's what really builds like empathy. So there's lots of evidence that self-practice, self-reflection builds empathy. Um, but also I think conviction for for the therapy you're delivering. So if you've done it and you receive it and it lands and it makes a difference, um, you actually can deliver it with more conviction and you can be slightly more creative in the way you apply it is what the evidence suggests. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think having that chance to receive it from the inside out is, is really important. You know it in a very different way. Absolutely. Um, I think you understand the power of some of the exercises, don't you, in, in a way that you can't understand just by reading about them. Definitely. I think you also find your your blind spots as well, the areas that you find difficult to be sensitive to or to tolerate. And Paul Gilbert from CFT often talks about that, you know, if you can't sort of be sensitive and tolerate it in yourself, it's very difficult to 
to do that with other people. Yeah, absolutely. So, for example, like, like I, I find quite ang- anger quite tricky, more of a tricky emotion, and doing work on that has helped me to, I don't know, see its value and importance in other people in the therapeutic process. Yeah. Um, and not be frightened of it in therapy. Yeah, because of course, I mean, if we can't get close to our dark side, how can we exactly. walk with somebody else as they move towards theirs? Yeah, and I think it's essentially quite bonding as well, isn't it? If you, you know, what you see in the other, you recognise in yourself, and it's actually something that brings you together rather than others, the other person. Yeah, um, I think that's what I love so much about compassion focused therapy is it's a model of human functioning in distress it's there is no other in a way yeah um, so I suppose like that's the nice thing you know you learn about being human um patterns and processes that aren't disordered but part of being human and they inevitably apply to yourself as well as other people yeah definitely we're all walking around with these tricky minds aren't we Exactly. Yeah. I, think, I think for anybody interested in CFT, the, the CFT from the Inside Out book is um, is a fantastic one to go through. So thank you for bringing that with your colleagues into the world. <laughs> you, you also founded the organisation Chair Work with Matthew Pugh and do a lot of research mm-hmm. and work utilising chair work. Can you tell us a bit about how that came about and what have been some of your biggest learnings from that? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good question. <clears throat> um, I mean, I suppose I met Matt at chair work training, um, <clears throat> and I think we were both interested in similar similar processes and had similar questions about how it works and why it works and things. Um, I suppose, like from a personal point of view, using it in therapy, it just became something that I started to do without really knowing what I was doing. I suppose by sort of having just another chair in the room. And yeah. uh, it just felt like a really helpful way of externalizing certain processes that the client might be experiencing, but also separating from them too. So I suppose like, you know, in, in cognitive therapy, for example, you might ask, you know, how, how would you see this uh, in a friend or if a friend was here, how would they see this in you, for example, to get a perspective shift? Um, but by having a chair there and, and then imagining the friend there to either talk to or go over and embody, yeah. just seemed to move things so quickly, rested it in that way, and then got drawn to all the different therapies that that use chair work. Um, and I think there's there's such interesting processes within chair work. So I think some of the, the important learning points for me is that idea of self-multiplicity. So um, often when I'm hearing people talk now, I'd be kind of trying to listen in they talk about it like listening in stereo yeah. uh, rather than mono so someone might say something like oh you know that's I'm so stupid for doing that and if you're listening for the dialogue listening for stereo you can kind of hear that there you know there is a part of the person that is attacking them and calling them stupid yeah and there's also a part that receives it um and then that that kind of allows you to explore um, and be sensitive to the relationship that goes on in between these two parts. It gives you more of a therapeutic target because you can target the, you know, the angry critic, or you can explore the vulnerability. Yeah. And when you get the relationships out, you can then explore, like, does this relationship look like other relationships in people's lives? And I think there's something also 
particularly using compassion focused therapy is like separating a part of yourself and personifying it giving it sort of human form sort of recruits the care-based skills too so you can start to see a part of you as being uh i don't know like upset and you can imagine like gaining eye contact with them and you imagine their shoulders slumping and i think that allows you to facilitates flows of compassion i think yeah i think self-compassion is quite hard because where do you give it like it's easy to give to you, for example, because I could see you and I can see your facial expression. Yeah. Um, but to yourself, kind of look down and see your toes type thing. It's difficult. Yeah. So separation by your imagery or chair work allows that. It recruits sort of interpersonal skills, I think, and allows them to yeah. sort of translate them to your interpersonal, intrapersonal world, really. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And as you were saying that, it's like, and maybe that's where somebody could start, though, if it was really tricky, is could you perhaps give self-compassion to your toes? Yeah. But it's hard, it's got no expression to respond to. Yeah. And then start to see these different parts of self, isn't it? And that, that that's not the whole of who you are, that we are multiple selves. Um, and these different parts of self need our care and nurturance, don't they? Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really important point that you can go and really immerse in these different parts because you've also got a chair for the other part um, and then you can separate from them and you can stand up and you can walk about yeah. and you get a sense of agency that you can come back and sit in um, and then move away. So I think kind of doing some of those exercises for myself as well, you can kind of realise the power, Yeah. but also how you know, it is, it's weird. Chair work's weird. So I think you need a really good therapeutic relationship to take that leap and yeah enter that surplus reality yeah and I think you know it, it can feel weird can't it and I think therapists can be hesitant to want to broach this with a client because it can seem weird do you have any tips for somebody who's not done that before or has only done a little bit of how they could kind of move into that yeah I mean I think I think like with quite a lot of CFD, actually, I think it's it's sometimes talking about maybe that, you know, say if you're working with a critic, you might say, for example, you know, so if I was working with my critic, my critic might be over here and it might be saying those kind of things. And then you know, I might be receiving it and feeling really, really upset, too. So I think I think with particularly with CFD, I feel more. I'm more inclined to share just, you know, small aspects of myself um, to normalise it and de-shame it. And then you kind of say, well, you know, just what would your critic kind of say? And would it say similar to mine or to this is what we typically expect? So I suppose it works to shame it before you start. And the other thing that that we typically do in chair work is it's like a doubling process where you 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 work together and you you would give first person statements. Um, that are, try and capture what the client says, capture the implicit messages or the emotion. So you might, as a therapist, for example, start speaking to the empty chair to model how you know, how the client might speak to it. Yeah. And there's such a beautiful process of then sort of finding your voice together. So, you know, I might you know I might say to the to try and help a client speak to the empty chair is you know so maybe we could start by saying something like you know seeing you here it's making me feel making me feel a bit scared. And does that fit? And would you want to try that? So you can you can offer offer statements for people to try out and and check against their experience. So that they kind of shift from asking lots of questions, which might move folk up to the head, yeah. to kind of give you first person statements. So you're finding 
sort of uh, elaborating a voice together, which I, yeah. I really like about your work. It'd be a really nice, gentle, supportive, encouraging process, hey? Yeah, and it's and sometimes it gives you a chance to really, you know, if the client's really stuck, to step in and advocate for them. So, you know, would it be okay if I speak to the critic? I know it's really difficult when you face the critic. Yeah. Could I speak to them and um, and maybe say what I'd like to say for you know for for us together for our compassionate team? Yeah, that's beautiful. Our compassionate team, I like that. That's <laughs> So like many of us, you have diversity in your work. You know, you, you write and you research and you do the stuff with the chair work and you do therapy and you teach at university. You're a busy, busy man. You're a parent. You do lots of stuff. What would you say are the pros and cons of having that diversity in your work? Yeah. I mean, I think the pros are when they when it all works together and you feel like you're, you're weaving them together and there's a, some connective strands so you know might be doing some research and you find something from speaking to clients in the research way and then you bring it into your supervision or your therapy and then that you know that I guess in terms informs your teaching and then furthers research questions etc but when it doesn't work it's just like you're doing multiple things that aren't connected and you just want to work on one project yeah um, I, I think it there's lots of projects have been really slow lately but I don't know I think there's potentially something to be said about that about stopping things leaving things coming back to things with a fresh head with a different yeah. mindset with a different kind of self self on board type thing yeah. and you see things very differently and um you know they start to become more woven into who you are I think yeah. um, I'm not particularly a quick researcher but um, I suppose it's picking things that feel really you feel really passionate about. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes it feels like this really flowing ecosystem where everything kind of works together, and other mm-hmm. times it can feel like things are drawing your attention away from the other things you want to be doing. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, very much, very much so. Yeah. yeah, very much so. I think it's hard. I mean, I think. I think therapy, therapy and working therapy is just is just really difficult. And I think it, you know, it kind of it should be difficult in lots of ways because it's, you know, we're we're working with lots of uncertainty. We're, yeah. you know, we're not we're not following set protocols ideally. Um, it takes a lot of effort and time. Yeah. So I yeah. think it, it it needs that time, space, and supervision and reflection with others and. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess bringing compassion to the situation as well for ourselves, isn't it? When it's not all flowing in the nice way we might like. Um, yeah. That's okay. And like you said before, sometimes it is about stepping back and saying, actually, I don't need to do this right now. I need to set this aside and come back to it with fresh eyes yeah. or at a different time. Yeah. yeah, I think so. And I think for me, the the trusting and using other people has not become particularly easy. But it's been something I've really, I really valued more and more. Really, I think that sense of doing, doing all those tasks in a community and with other people, yeah, just makes it so much easier in so many different ways. Sustaining yeah. you, encouraging yeah. you, you know, sharing ideas, like sharing energy when somebody's flagging. I think, yeah, research, for example, and then that 
that space to reflect with multiple people. You know, I have quite a few different supervisors now, uh, and I love just hearing different ways of seeing the same clinical problem. And for me, that, that that's not a problem. That's great. It just sort of enriches the process, gives lots of options. Yeah. Um, and I, I find helps me think creatively and flexibly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think, you know, like you were saying, it can be hard to sort of reach out for help to people. Um, for many people, that can be difficult. But I think when you can, it is. it really does change things, doesn't it? It really does make a difference yeah. in, in what Definitely. we do and what we can do uh, and what we choose to do. I think that sense of sort of carrying people into the individual works. I mean, some work you do individually, but it, yeah. I suppose from, you know, the idea from chair work is that, that lots of the voices become internalised and they become either resources or like sources of conflict. But the idea of almost entering therapy with a client, but actually you feel like you have a compassionate team around you. You have yeah. folk there who you can take things to. And you did some research um, it's just a small bit of research that I'd like to continue building a compa- internal compassionate supervisor. Yeah. Um, so the idea from like Patrick Casement of this internal supervisor, you take things to um, from psychodynamic work. But I thought, you know, can we could we train up somebody to have an, a compassionate internal supervisor? And we did some sort of imagery practices for trainee clinicians. And I suppose it was that idea really that they can take the problems to a resource in their own mind that's built up yeah. and that can be used and they said it you know that the research showed it was people were able to use it after session to manage fears and uh, concerns but they're also able to sort of use it in session just to sometimes it was something they might this supervisor in their head might reflect or share with them or but it was more just a sense of somebody being with them somebody's supportive yeah um, this felt sense of uh, encouraging presence I think yeah allowed them to do the work they wanted to do I remember doing a wonderful training around that with you in um Lismore I believe it was, um, yeah, that was when you came out or pre-covid that that time that we had <laughs> yeah fantastic fantastic so you're currently completing a PhD or yeah. you've finished yeah you're you're survivors next week actually oh that's so exciting wow and I mean that's no small feat especially when you're also working and parenting so I'm curious because there are a number of people who are in the helping professions that are studying or doing extra things on top of work how do you take care of yourself during this process and what do you find are your biggest challenges with that yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) First, I was like not not very well, but but I think that's not it's not quite true. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it I think it's just difficult, and I think it's I mean, I suppose it's not trying for it to not be difficult. I mean, the process of doing anything with well, doing the important job of parenting yeah. is is difficult, and I think that I I think I found that the most difficult part because it's a part time PhD that lasted many years, and it's it's older than my son is. Um, <laughs> But I think that the the bit of um, like having small amounts of time to pick up the project and it then taking a while to get into mm-hmm. and then doing being only able to do a small piece of work, you know, feels really defeating, I suppose, it, in terms of like 
past depression and things like the you know part of depression i suppose is that sense of sort of defeat um that you can experience when you're trying to do something that pulling back and shutting down so it was i suppose it's a really helpful piece of work and part of the process is to learn how to you know you, you might try and pick up a task and it's sort of tolerating and working with knowing that you can only do a small amount and knowing that you're going to feel it's not enough yeah. but still doing it you know and I think yeah. that was I mean that's been quite an important personal process I think because it's it's really difficult and part of you thinks oh you know f this I'm not going to do this anymore because it's not going to get any done I'm only going to do about half an hour and it's not worth the pain it causes but that would involve basically giving up on it yeah. So it's finding that, navigating that route through it, really, I think it's been hard, but important. Yeah. I think the other things probably I found helpful are using using the body uh, to work with problems as much as the mind, really. So you know, using sort of soothing practices, um, yeah. but also kind of drive-based practices, using the body and shifting the physiological context rather than trying to change the mental context makes such a difference for me. So you know a run or a swim is worth yeah um, hours of thought yeah yeah so getting active yeah. yeah yeah and I imagine um you know there would be lots of opportunities for the self-critic to show up in that process like you're yeah. saying this is not enough I've not done enough um how do you then work with that yeah I mean I think it- been working with the self critic has been such an important part of for, for me and um and that's such an important part of um compassion focused therapy yeah. i suppose having worked on it a lot it doesn't really i suppose when it shows up now it just shows up as a almost as a flag or a piece of information or a reminder so i suppose when i do notice getting critical i suppose it's it's less leaning into the content and arguing with the content or working with the content. And it's just thinking, right. So I know when the critic shows up, it it means it's usually in a response to feeling like I'm failing or being rejected in some way. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's probably the same for most folk. Um, So I suppose if I see that and I see is that's what its function is and what its role is and what's triggered it, then it allows me to work on what's, primary underneath it so just feeling like I could fail feeling vulnerable around that feeling concerned that uh, I might be judged and then I work on the the fear of judgment so I think it's almost like a flag pointing to um, what I need to tend to I think yeah Um, that's been the most helpful way I think about it and I suppose the, the more you practice the compassionate voice the more it offers itself yeah absolutely I, I can so relate to that. I, I had an extremely vicious and brutal self-critic and yeah. have done a lot of work with that and building the compassionate self. And I and I, I really hear what you're saying is it becomes less about that content of the critic and it's like, oh, you've yeah. shown up. What What's that about then? <laughs> yeah. what, what do I need to be aware of? And I think kind of curiosity is, is the kind of opposite to to threat the energy of threat and the, the kind of senses that spring from it like being interested being yeah what is it that's hurting here is um, it comes back to sort of our definitions of compassion we're using it like being sensitive to suffering like yeah. what is it that hurts really and then what is it that i need having yeah. um listen to the hurt yeah 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So well worth building a compassionate self. Um, yeah. because hard work, it, though, but... <laughs> Hard work, but most things that are worth it are, aren't they? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. An ongoing practice, but certainly something um, I've spoke many times about. It's been life changing for me. And I, I think you, you have spoken too about that sort of thing, um, that it just makes such a difference, doesn't it? In, in, in all areas as well. And I think, you know, as helping professionals, we really do need to take care of ourselves. Um, yeah. The work we do is challenging and can be very yeah. triggering, depending on the situation, the client that you've got with you. Um, so I think it's a, a good investment in ourselves to be uh, practicing this. Yeah, it's in service of our clients too. And, uh, yeah, I really think that. I mean, so much that the information we get from from a clinical session is often like how we feel and being open to that. Yeah. Um, within ourselves, I think it provides such a great stream of information from the clinic. Too. and then if you don't sort of shame and blame yourself about it then it becomes an important source to take supervision and I think that I mean that for me is like it's would be the most important sort of take home you can do from CFT so you know there's loads of wonderful exercise in compassion folks therapy where you you learn to um you, know, you, you teach folk how to do create a safe place and to create compassionate others and to do soothing rhythm breathing and um, you know, often it often it doesn't work, but it doesn't work for good reasons. So like somebody might become really angry or be um, you know, full of grief and tears or yeah. associate when you're doing it. And it's so easy to think that that is it not working or you've failed in some way. You've kind of done a procedural error. If only I used a better voice tone or better pacing. But yeah. if you can clear that stuff away, then it becomes such important information about the client and their fears and blocks to compassion yeah um i think that's a real shift from like being right at the beginning of cft where you think oh, i've got to do this right and it's got to land in this way to let me just sort of drop this in these sort of caring signals into the client's world and see how they land and you know when they land and other things come back rather than sort of feeling soothed and safe then that becomes that's what makes it the therapy and that yeah. becomes important but it's hard to clear clear the way of your own stuff I think to be able to appreciate that yeah because we're human too with tricky minds right <laughs> I remember Paul yeah. Gilbert saying you know fears blocks and resistances is the work of CFT yeah um you know it, it's such important work isn't it and and looking at our own fears blocks and resistances yeah to how we are in the room and how we are in terms of taking care of ourselves as well as therapists yeah it's a, I mean, it's a great learning, isn't it? So like treatment, so-called treatment failures are actually the most important thing to yeah. attend to. And I suppose that translates to personal life, isn't it? Things you feel like you're failing at. Yeah. Other things, you know, you maybe, maybe need attention and yeah. generate the most learning, really. And how can we look at those in a gentle and compassionate way? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So what would be, and I know it can be hard to distill it down to one piece, but what would be one piece of advice that you would share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think probably what we've just talked about, I think, is the, if you do it, so for example, I mean, I work more in compassion focus work, but that, 
but that when things aren't going well, it's so easy to fall back on self-shaming and blaming. And I suppose if you can find ways to be steady and compassionate with yourself, then it becomes, as a clinician, the most important pieces of information and ways to connect to the client's most important unmet needs, really. Um, I suppose in terms of for myself and clinically that that idea of self multiplicity is I just find so helpful. Um, the idea of you know there there are multiples in oneself, there are multiples in other people, and I think for me that sort of allows me to own more in myself. You know, I can I can own that there's a part of me that you know I don't know might hate being a parent, but I know that because I can trust that there is another part that that loves it and yeah. accepts it. Um, so it feels like it allows you to lean into different aspects of your experience without worrying that it that it is all of you. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose it allows for the the complexity and richness of inner relationships to be discerned and worked on and yeah and Absolutely. changed. You know, adding in different voices. So you know, I suppose that's the other thing. You know, in CFT, we're adding in, we're creating, we're maybe not adding in, but we're we're reconnecting to or cultivating a voice that maybe hasn't been very strong or yeah. dominant people's lives. And so I suppose the idea of we have multiples, but we can bring in new voices and we can start changing relationships within ourselves and that supports outside relationships. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, a beautiful um, vehicle to changing the relationship with yourself that's certainly been my experience in life and I think you touched on before that you know when when we know we've got this part that um we may struggle with if you if you just kind of thought you know this part of me that doesn't enjoy being a parent is the whole of me then you probably get quite self-critical and perhaps shaming of yourself Mm. Um, but because you can trust there's this other part of you that loves being a parent, you're able to go toward that part of you that doesn't exactly. love parenting and actually meet the needs of that part of you. That part of you might need to have time away from your darling child mm-hmm. and go and do some stuff that you'd, you'd enjoy doing for yourself. Um, but if we can't go close to those parts of ourselves, we can't truly take care of ourselves because there's needs that we're actually ignoring. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of my my understanding of it too. That these, I think that's one of the most helpful things with chair work and CFT is that you know all these patterns and voices or parts or what have you, they you know they do have value, they do have function, yeah. they are worth listening to. And I think well, some therapies, you know, typically would you know have a problematic voice and then try to reduce it. But I think yeah. there's so much value in giving it more space and allowing it to speak and yeah. to elaborate and actually then we get to understand where that comes from and what it's trying to do and seeing what it needs like you said yeah. I think the idea of self-multiplicity is so powerful because it means you don't have to get rid of parts you can yeah. you know you're just building another part to to work with it and understand it um so it's not so therefore it becomes more about how do we build and integrate rather than kind of reduce or eject kind of thing which I think yeah. just feels so much more healthy yeah absolutely and it works you know, but that that kind of idea of doing that i suppose works on an external way too i mean that's how it ideally social groups should work shouldn't it rather yeah. than try and reduce and eject we should appreciate difference and um, yeah. work together so i think it it's a lovely 
know, those lessons you learn for internal life are, are kind of great lessons for external life. And I think in terms of compassion, that the idea of it being in and out of multiple flows is, yeah. is, a, is a real gift, I think. Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful point. You know, if we if we can look at society like that and be more inclusive, um, not wanting every, you know, not just wanting to get rid of the people that don't fit for us, um, but actually seeing them as they are with the strengths that they have, and and how can we all actually be together, and and that as well for us internally, you know, Absolutely. let's not try and get rid of the parts we don't like, but see why they're there and understand them and meet the needs they might have and. Definitely. So Paul, of course, as it Paul, I can't remember what Dan Siegel said that the idea of we're not trying to build a smoothie, like it's a free yeah, salad with all fruit the, salad. Then, yeah. yeah. Kind of respecting these these parts are, you know, they, they kind of strong patterns or forms in themselves. We don't have to you know, cut down their edges and make everything similar and yeah. the same, actually. About how do we because I, I guess you can't. <laughs> No. You, can't get rid of, yeah, you can't get rid of you know the, the tough parts of being human so no. i suppose it's how how do you work with them yeah so it becomes futile and exhausting right whereas if we can be more compassionate and go okay well how can i work with this part of myself it's just an easier journey in the end it is yeah it is but it kind of feels counterintuitive doesn't it like yeah <laughs> towards something that's difficult and finding its worth and place and value yeah absolutely so I ask this to all my guests and I'm always curious about the answer if you could meet your 80 year old self what do you think they would say to you yeah it's really weird because I I never thought I'd make it past particular ages so like I never thought I'd get 30 and 40 and then you know 80 seems such a such a way um yeah I think I'm not sure everybody has that when they reach a certain sort of middle age. Um, I suppose I'm already sort of appreciating that certain aspects of life are finite and um, particularly like the like body and what I'm able to do. So I think um, that capacity to really enjoy and um, maximise this sort of stage of life really where I can. Yeah. I can I can do the things that I'd like, which you know, which it'd be. I'd love to be kind of more like kind of grateful for. It's hard, I think, when you're so driven, when you're so driven and tasked are there to to appreciate that. So I think I'd probably say work a lot less. Yeah. Um, listen to that. You know, the part that feels defeated and exhausted. Um, it's not something you need to plow over. It's something you actually need to provide space for and listen to. Yeah. Um, a lot more because it's, I don't think it is just exhaustion. I think it's yearning for something, something different. Yeah. Um, outside of therapy, I think too. Yeah. Yeah. So how can you slow down and listen to the wisdom that that's offering you? Yeah. Yeah. I think. I mean, I think. I think there is a value in just doing that, slowing down, and giving that. Those yeah. other voices a chance really to be heard. Absolutely. Absolutely. Greatest life hack ever slowing down, I think. <laughs> Chronic illness forced that upon me, but gee, I learned some stuff through it. It's funny that they, you know, some forms of therapy sort of say that, you know, if you if you don't listen, if you do disown parts of yourself, it will come looking for you in different ways. And 
I kind of have that sense if I don't slow down and stop, then you know you will hit, you will be stopped, um, yeah. you know, by by an illness or something, um, yeah. or by something that forces you to do it. So I think you know, proactively doing it would be good. Yeah. Maybe you can check in with your eighty old self in the mornings and just say, "What do you reckon?" <laughs> I'm getting glimpses of it with my sore knees already. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So could you tell us a bit about any current projects that you're currently working on? Yeah, so I mean, the <clears throat> the majority of work at the moment is um, is chair work orientated, really. <clears throat> and um, so we've got a project just starting up about the, you know, using the compassionate other. So, you know, in CFT, you might imagine this caring figure that becomes an internal resource and forms this sort of internal relationship. But for some folk, imagery is quite tricky. Um, so, you know, we're doing some research about doing a chairwork version of it. So <clears throat> creating the the sense or the image, if, if you can do that, of the compassionate other in the other chair, but then role reversing and becoming the compassionate other. So you add embodiment to it. Yeah. Um, so being the compassionate other and then speaking to the empty chair where, where you were. Um, so I think for me, <clears throat> it sort of takes the, the imagery one step further by adding embodiment and then adding um sort of embodied dialogue yeah. um and you can swap backwards and forwards and receive the care and i think it highlights the different flows of compassion really nicely um i'm also doing some research on the compassionate other in social anxiety to see if that's helpful oh cool that's exciting um, yeah. so if people want to find out more about the things you're doing or get in touch where can they find you and engage with you and your work and i'll put links in the show notes as well yeah so the the website of the organization i run with my colleague matthew I mean, matthew's done amazing work in chair work in cbt but written about chair work more broadly so we run um, an organization called chair work and it's chairwork.co.uk and if you go to the website it's got trainings that we offer that that are mainly online still so we can reach different folk, but it's got lots of resources there. Um, it's got um, sort of prompts or dance steps for multiple different chair work uh, interventions. And um, we put all our papers on there as well and um, sort of things that we use, protocols from research and things. So if you're interested, it's quite good free resources to have to have and have a look at. Fantastic. That's so generous. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good practice to try and articulate it and so it's good for us to simplify clarify and communicate what we we're trying to do i think for a long time chair work was um like quite like a mystique around it. it's this powerful thing you do and like magic sort of happens uh, <laughs> theatrical thing so i mean that that is still true i think you know yeah. very spontaneity and creativity but i think you know there are some fundamental principles and processes that that actually provide a lot of structure for people to then let go and really try um so yeah fantastic well I'll put links to everything um in the show notes it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and um, mm. I look forward to catching up with you at the conference in Edinburgh yeah. and uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast <laughs> lovely to speak to you <laughs> thank you thank you for sharing this time with me today I hope your time here was helpful and supportive. If there has been something in this episode that you have found helpful, 
I invite you to share it with another person you think might benefit. I'd also love it if you'd like to leave a review wherever you tune in. Reviews really help to increase awareness of podcasts, meaning I can spread helpful information more widely. All reviews are welcome and much appreciated, as I know they take time out of your day. Music and editing by Nissa Ray. Thanks, Nissa. I wish you all well in your relationship with yourself, and may you go well and go gently. Thank you.